as I have not acknowledged in the two previous talks in this series, samadhi or concentration is the workhorse of liberation. Samadhi is the second training in the Buddha's Eightfold Path, Right Samadhi. In Right Samadhi, or the concentration that does the work of our liberation, is dependent upon Right Effort and Right Mindfulness. With the right effort, right mindfulness is possible. And with a continuity of presence of mind, clear observation, remembering, all qualities of mindfulness, with a continuity of that, the mind becomes collected, becomes focused, becomes focused on a single point. In the insight practice, it's on this moment's experience. Tonight I want to speak about concentration, samadhi. I want to speak about concentration as a factor of mind. I want to speak about samadhi, or concentration, as a training, where we develop the concentrating factors of mind in order to overcome the hindrances. And I want to speak about samadhi as an attainment or an accomplishment an absorption of the mind, which was highly praised by the Buddha. As you by now are becoming familiar, in every moment of our life, there are a package of mental factors that arise. One of those factors that arises in every moment is called ekegata, which means gone to a single point. The mind in each moment lands somewhere on that single point. And so there is in each moment of our life the mind going to a point or concentration. Everything we do in our life requires some degree of focus or concentration, even to make bread, to write a note, to walk from here to there. We have to stay focused, collected, on a single point in order to get it done. And as such, concentration is ethically neutral. We can be 
focused on something very wholesome and skillful, much as we are here in practice. We can be equally concentrated on something very unskillful. A cat burglar in the night, gently opening the window to get in, turning the knobs on the safe, is very focused, very concentrated. But that's not right concentration. That's wrong concentration. (laughs) Nevertheless, it is concentration and focus. The mind is collected, very focused, very collected on that single point, the click, the knock, whatever it is. As such, ekegata or samadhi in the mind has the power or has the function of intensifying everything. It prevents the mind from spreading out, and instead it brings the mind in, gathering it in, collecting it, so that it isn't scattered, wandering, distracted. When the mind isn't scattered, isn't distracted, and isn't wandering, it's restful, it's settled, it's tranquil, it's still. And this is maybe the most conspicuous element of the mind that is concentrated, is that it is steadfast. It feels stable. We feel still. In order to feel still, steady, stable, collected, we can't force it. Forcing the mind in any way is going to create tension, struggle, just the opposite of the stillness and the steadiness and the tranquility that comes when the mind is collected. It's said that concentration or the mind that is happy naturally is focused. And so happiness is really the direct preliminary to the mind willfully collecting and getting focused. Now, it's not the happiness of enjoying delightful things, but it's the happiness of giving up the indulgence in enjoyable things. More about that later. Mindfulness is aware, attentive, observing, remembering. Attention picks the object to be aware of. Energy energizes the mind. Determination inclines the mind in a certain direction. Many other mental factors that arise in each moment 
are condensed by concentration or by this factor, ekegata, bringing all of these factors of mind to the same point, this moment. And when the mind is focused, is collected, and all of its various attributes are collected and focused and placed on this moment's experience, it has a very sharp penetrating quality. The collected mind, the focused mind, the concentrated mind pierces, goes deeply into this experience in order to see more of it. It is said that one who is concentrated knows and sees things as they really are. It's much like a magnifying lens. If I hold up my hand and say, and ask you, what do you see? Well, you see a hand. If I say, come closer and look closer, then you can see the, you know, the separation of the fingers. And if you get closer, you can see the lines and read my palm. And if you look real close, you can see some scars and whatnot. And if you get a magnifying lens and look close, you can see more. If you take a piece of that skin and put it under a microscope, you see even more details. You know more about what it is you're looking at. And if you put a piece of that under an electron microscope, you wouldn't recognize what you were looking at. But yet you would know more details of what you're looking at. As the mind gets concentrated, focused and collected, it has that same effect. We're looking at the same old stuff, the breath, sensations in the body, thoughts, feelings, emotions, intentions, plans, memories. We're looking at the same old stuff, but it looks very different because we are more focused, going into it more deeply, seeing more about it. There's a fellow that lives near here who comes here occasionally, used to a lot, and he's a painter, uh, an artistic painter, and he's quite well known. When he paints, he paints, he has a, a big magnifying lens mounted on his easel under which he paints. And some of his paintbrushes have only two or three bristles in it. And he paints life-size pictures. There is so much detail in what he paints that when his paintings are hung in a a gallery or museum, whatever, they put a magnifying lens beside it so you can see the detail of that painting. That's what our mind is like as we practice. Focus, collect the mind, and look more closely. We may lose perspective, 
of what we're looking at. As a mental factor, this going to a point, ekekata, is present in every moment. If we're not aware of it, if we're not aware of the possibility of developing it, then it never gets developed. It just does its work with a minimal amount of uh, effectiveness. However, if we know if we're aware that the mind can be collected, can be gathered, can be focused, and we know the way to do that, then we can develop a powerful mind that sees much more. Developing this degree of focus is a training. It doesn't happen automatically. It's not a birthright. It's something we must work at. In speaking of samadhi, or concentration, as a training, we're really talking about developing the qualities of mind which overcome the non-concentrating qualities of mind, the hindrances. We know the five hindrances. We're very familiar with them by now. And we're probably all still working with them. The five factors of mind which most directly oppose and overcome the hindrances, are called the five jhana factors. The five factors of mind that lead to jhana, or absorption, deep concentration. So I want to speak about these five factors of mind that overcome the five hindrances. We know the first hindrance of sloth and torpor well, and we know of many ways to work with it. You know, standing, walking, um, opening your eyes, pulling your earlobes, whatever it is, noting, and there are innumerable things to do to, to manipulate the mind to not succumb to sloth and torpor, sleepiness, dullness. They all involve applying the mind. They all involve connecting the mind to something. The breath, sensations, light, sound. It's that connecting of the mind again and again and again and again which puts aside that dullness, which puts aside that Sleepiness, laziness. Connecting the mind, of course, requires a very precise aiming of the mind. 
directing of the mind, laying the mind onto this experience. It takes energy, it takes effort, it takes determination, it takes directing or inclining the mind. But mostly, to overcome sleepiness and dullness, we need to connect with the experience. And in this repeated connecting of the mind to the experience, the mind becomes fresh, it opens, it becomes uh, more lively. And when the mind is lively, when the mind is fresh, when the mind is open, when the mind is workable, and that's really what we're talking about, making the mind workable, working it so that it has some malleability, some flexibility, some ability to move, to go, to, to be directed, and to touch our experience, then we see things more clearly. We taste taste more sweetly or sourly. We hear sounds more delicately or abrasively. Because the mind is alive, the mind is fresh, the mind is present, connected to the experience. This first jhana factor, first concentrating factor, vitaka, is supported by the second jhanic factor, vichara, or the sustaining of the mind. Doubt, of course, as a hindrance, obscures our ability to recognize what's going on. There's a certain amount of confusion, unclarity with doubt. And, again, we know many ways of working with it, but essentially, they all involve an ability to sustain our attention on the experience. To, once the mind has touched or connected with the experience, we need to stay with it or feel it, touch it more continuously or for some duration of time so that we can know what it is. It's not just a glimpse, but it's a, um, maybe a steady gazing at or a lingering with experience so that we know what happens to it. You know, the first, the first question is, what is this? And the second question is, what happens to it when you notice it? And the only way we can answer that is to sustain our attention on the experience to notice, to have no doubt what that experience is. And it's the sustaining of our intention, attention that reveals the true nature of experience. As such, the characteristic of sustaining our attention is really an investigation, an examination, revealing 
knowledge, the certain knowing of this experience. Connecting and sustaining, they work together, and they are the essential work of practice. If we do nothing else while we're here, but work with connecting and sustaining our attention, we won't have wasted our time. Because it is the essential work from which all other experience flows. Of course, it is not easy. Physical physical sensations are hard enough to connect and stay with, let alone thoughts, more subtle feelings, and subtler yet mental states. Yet that's the work in Vipassana practice. The third hindrance, aversion, pulling away from experience, Again, we know many ways of working with it, but the primary or the essential quality of mind that opposes pulling away is taking an interest in. When we take an interest in, then we move towards. The direct opposite or that which opposes the withdrawal of aversion. So an interest, a curiosity, an investigation, we can cultivate this. We can arouse some some delight, some joy, some interest, some curiosity. But let's face it, with the amount of unpleasantness that we have to open to, in our practice, it's hard to come by joy. It's hard to come by an active, genuine interest in unpleasantness. The work takes place in connecting and sustaining our attention. And when they mature, when they are active and continuous, the joy, the delight, the interest comes of itself. It's not a willful manipulation of the mind. And some of you have come in with um, kind of exclaiming at this um, quality of mind that is taking an interest in everything, pleasant or unpleasant, with equal fascination, a fascinated interest in just being there and tracking what's going on. It's not a willful interest. It's a natural result of the alive and awakening mind. Delight, joy, becoming enwrapped in the experience, the moment. As such, when we feel that interest, that delight, aversion can't be found. It puts aside all forms of Dislike, anger, frustration, disappointment, jealousy, envy, anything which tends to separate us from our experience. 
the fourth hindrance of restlessness, is specifically opposed by sukha, or the happy comfort of mind and body, where the mind feels okay, and the body feels comfortable. Not because we have finally found the right posture, but because our interest in practice is steady. This sukha is an enjoyment of pleasant experiences, not through attachment, but through that very vital quality of awakening in the mind. And when this mind and body feel comfortable, feel okay, feel at ease, it gives a tremendous boost and support to our confidence, to our mindfulness, to our interest, to our energy, to our determination. And with that happiness, with that comfort, of the mind and the body, the mind quite easily settles on each experience as it appears in the mind, not wanting anything else. It's happy right there. And this easy settling on the moment, coming into this moment, fully into this moment, this focus on this moment, puts aside all desire, the fifth hindrance, all wanting, all longing for something else better. When we're happy, we don't look for something else. That's enough. In this preliminary practice, in this development of samadhi, or development of concentration as a training, arousing these five jhanic factors, these five qualities of mind, to oppose the five hindrances, purifies the mind. Purifies the mind of its contaminants, of its agitation, of its restlessness, of its fear, its longing, so that we can do the work of insight. So that the mind, in its clarity, in its pure, luminous knowing, can see deeply how things really are unfolding. Unobscured by our desire, our aversion, our restlessness, dullness, In practice, we should understand that, and I'm sure you all do now, that practice is not a linear process. I'm not really sure we could say it's circular either. It's um, probably more chaotic than anything. Um, And it really doesn't move in a straight line anywhere. It's up and down, it comes together, it falls apart, it goes left, it goes right, it, it, 
It's all over the place. But in that um, wandering around different mental terrain, we do in time become familiar with it. We do in time become familiar with those difficult states of mind, difficult physical experiences, easy states of mind, easy physical experiences. And in time, we, we, we learn to allow them, let them be, and let the mind continue on its path of knowing things as they are. When the mind is pure, when the hindrances have been put aside, and even if it's only for a moment, or only for the first five minutes of your sitting, or only for the last five minutes, however uh, long that time lasts for you, then the mind is collected. Then the mind has an extraordinary power to see things clearly. And we can develop that focus, that concentration, and bring it to a, a level of absorption or steadiness in which the mind, we could say, gets lost in the experience. I want to speak about samadhi as an attainment or as an accomplishment by talking about jhanas. And I've heard that you've already heard something about jhanas and vipassana jhanas and samatha jhanas. So this is maybe a rehash. But it's said that the first jhana the first level of absorption, the first plateau of concentration in the mind is a subtle state of joy, happiness, free from the hindrances. What does that mean? A subtle state of joy and happiness, free from the hindrances. It essentially means that the five jhanic factors are developed, they're mature, they're active, they're fully present, they're balanced. So in the practice of metta, for example, the metta practice is calling up a benefactor or calling up a being, someone, that you wish to, to wish happiness for with some phrases. And the practice is repeatedly calling up the phrases, calling up the feeling, pervading that wish towards that being. Connecting, or the first jhanic factor, is connecting with that feeling, that person, that phrase, that meaning. Connecting again and again and again where the continuity of our intention, the inclining of our mind, is steady. 
sustaining our mind on metta will we'll allow the feeling, the depth of feeling of metta to be known. Not a casual glance, not just a, a, a one-shot thing, but a continuous sustaining of the mind where we continue to value that person, continue to move that energy towards them. Taking delight, feeling uh, enwrapped in that experience, really brings a quality of specialness, where we feel so connected to that feeling, that person. There's a, a real special in-loveness, not falling in loveness, but in-loveness with sometimes feeling like we're in the presence of the divine. Someone was mentioning it just today. Walking down the road, young boy, schoolboy on his bicycle comes pedaling by, trying to ignore her. Yet when he was within a, a foot or two of her, took a glance out of his eye to have a look at her. And her heart went, melt, in the presence of the divine. Something very, very special. When the mind is that open, when the heart is that connected, absorbed in metta. The comfort of mind and body, the sukha, comes and should be very obvious. In that moment of that special connection, everything's okay. It's just okay. There's no need for anything else. There's an, a, a sense of well-being, a very effortless ease and well-being, where the mind is still and silent and clear. This is, we could say, one level of, or the first level of, a mind absorbed in metta, a mind absorbed in love when these five factors are aroused. And you may or you may not discover that for longer or shorter periods of time. It's not only a willful uh, endeavor. It has its own momentum. It comes sometimes unasked for. Increasing or successive levels of absorption or concentration or jhana, if you want, is, is really developed through an increasing ease with the practice. So that when the connecting and sustaining of our attention 
on the metta, on the person, on the feeling, on the phrases, becomes so smooth, so easy, so mature, that there really is no effort to connect, no effort to sustain, but the momentum is there, carrying. Then when the mind, all that agitation of the mind, connecting and sustaining and connecting and sustaining and connecting and sustaining, when that drops away, and the momentum of this love really flows, the joy, the delight, the interest becomes so apparent, much more palpable much more obvious. And it's this degree of absorption that many religions cultivate. The ecstatic trance, whether it's whatever religion, but many religions have practices for inducing this degree of absorption in which one is ecstatically enwrapped in the object of their their meditation. Metta can be pretty gushy, pretty um, juicy at this level of absorption. With the body, of course, feeling very light, swooping and swooning, or feeling high, as good as many drug experiences, some would say. And when the mind has that degree of interest, delight, joy, ecstasy, it gives rise to feelings in the body equally delightful. It's called piti javarupa physicality or material experience born of this delight in the mind. However, that's not the most exquisite bliss that the Buddha discovered in his practice. That's just one step on the way. And if we can continue our practice beyond that and Indeed, bring the mind more continuously on to our practice and continue to pervade that metta more smoothly, more continuously, more feelingly. Another level or another absorption or another degree of concentration or focus occurs when that delight, that ecstasy, falls away. And then there's just this sukha, this bliss, this very subtle, sublime, pleasant mind-body. Where there's this extraordinary feeling of confidence, well-being, without being high or light, in a residing in this uh, exquisite stillness where there really is no form to the body, 
where the body really just loses its form in this bliss. Very subtle, expansive. The texts say that this is the highest bliss possible to us human beings, where the mind is one-pointed and um, comfortable. There are further and succeeding absorptions, levels of absorptions, into even more refined states of mind, experiences of the body, most of which we won't practice here and won't really discover. But I want to move on to understanding samadhi in, or the concentration, the factor of concentration in vipassana practice. Some of you are doing intensive metta, and I've talked about that a little bit, so you can begin to understand absorption in metta, but for most of us, we're working with concentration, samadhi in vipassana practice. And the experiences are very different. In Vipassana practice, the object of our attention is changing every minute, every minute, every moment, every instant. In metta practice, we continue to send our mind to the same experience over and over and over again, never allowing, or trying not to allow, anything else to come into the mind. And in time, of course, the mind becomes very, a lot of momentum moving towards the person, the feeling, the metta. Nothing gets in. In Vipassana practice, it's different. We might be focusing on the breath, initially. But when we pay attention to the breath, what do we notice? In one in-breath, there is a multitude of different experience. It's changing. And not only is the breath changing, but the mind is changing. It's on the breath, it moves to a thought, it moves to a sound, it moves to a sensation in the body, it's back to the breath, it's into the past, it's into the future, down to an intention, it's over to the left, it's over to the right, it's in the body, it's out of the body, it's here. How can we ever feel still, tranquil, collected, and focused with that happening? If we understand that we're talking about the development of the jhanic factors. We're talking about developing, connecting, sustaining, interest, comfort, one-pointedness. We connect with the breath, sustain our attention on it, take interest in it, settle into it, not wander. When these qualities of mind, these five jhanic factors, are present in a moment, on the breath, 
what happens? We see it clearly. Mindfulness. The mind is not wandering in that moment. And if the next moment happens not to be the breath but a thought, and we again arouse those five qualities on it, connect to it, sustain our attention on it, take an interest in it, not the content but the process, not want for anything else, again these five qualities, these five factors of mind are there. Seeing clearly, mindfully, fully aware, thinking. The same degree of focus, the same degree of collectedness, of concentration is there moment after moment after moment after moment. It's called kanika samadhi, momentary concentration, not fixed concentration. So in this developing of the five factors, moment to moment landing on whatever appears in the mind, what happens? We stop paying attention to the content so much and we start to notice the true insight knowledge. Everything is changing. Has anybody not noticed that yet? Everybody. We're all, we're, we're all wallowing in the fact that everything is changing. We can't keep it together for a minute. Good insight. But it's hard to, to, to feel comfortable with that. When we see, when we open to the insight into anicca, into impermanence, not only is our experience changing moment to moment, our sense of ourself is changing moment to moment, and that's unacceptable to most of us. Not only is our experience changing, our sense of ourself changing, but our sense of our practice is changing. And that's really hard to accommodate. So if you're having an awful, awful time of it, you know, you just can't keep it together, and you really have no confidence in yourself, and your practice is falling apart, and it's not and it's just changing all the time. Good. Good insight. Don't take it personal. That's the way it is. When we open to impermanence, everything is impermanent. It takes a lot of, um, it takes a lot of practice before we can steady our attention on that on that knowledge, on that truth. And it's not from thinking about it, it's from living it, moment to moment. Then we see, oh, this is the way it is. Now, some would say that Anicca is the easy one. What about Dukkha? When we open to Dukkha, remember I spoke about Dukkha being not only pain, but just the uh, unsatisfactoriness or the insecurity that comes from the fact of change. When we open to dukkha, what do we experience? Everything that we experience is unsatisfying. Not only is our experience unsatisfying, our sense of ourself is completely unsatisfying. And not only that, but our sense of our practice. No matter how good it is, 
when we open to dukkha, is going to feel unsatisfying. That's the nature of the insight into dukkha. Anicca, dukkha, anatta, anatta. What is that? You know, the impersonality, the the mm, insubstantiality, maybe, of experience. Seeing how fleeting, how insubstantial thoughts and sensations really are. And when we open to this, we begin to see this, just little bits and pieces. Mm, we see, yeah, sensations. You get there and it's not there. A thought, you get there and it's not there. Your sense of yourself, you get there, you're not there. You take a look at your practice, how am I doing? I got a report in five minutes, how am I doing? You get there, it's not there. What practice? This is really hard to accommodate. This is, it takes a long time, frankly. It takes a long time to get comfortable with these insights. We'll do everything we can to avoid them. But if we keep practicing, we're going to keep seeing them. At such times, at this level of absorption, this momentary you know, level of absorption, tremendous disappointment, anger, ill will, frustration, fault finding, doubt, ingratitude, blaming, accusation of everyone that's around you whether it's in the hall, or in the dining room, or in the room next to you. Why? Because our practice is just, as we see it, unsatisfying. It's always changing. Never stable. There's no security. Actually, it's good practice. I want to encourage you. But it's not what we expected when we came here, is it? Nobody would ever expect that. As Trungpa said, if we knew what was involved before we started Dharma practice, we never would have started. But since we have all started, we better finish. And what does finish mean? It means just keeping at it. You just keep noticing What's happening? Especially those self-judgments. Those judgments that say, my practice is falling apart. I don't think I can do this. I'm really not doing very well. Judging, judging, judging. Don't believe them. And in time, we can become very um, adept at these insights. And just let them be there. Live with that level of change, insecurity, unsatisfactoriness. And then we have good practice. And we begin to know it. We take an interest in things for just because they're there. We pay attention just because it's something happening. We don't have to arouse an interest. We see for ourselves the way things are. When that kind of delight, that kind of interest comes, then a whole um, 
package of Delight comes with it. Joy, comfort, euphoria, uh, lightness, highness, uh, effortless energy, extraordinary clarity, uh, very strong equanimity where you're non-reacting to anything. And they come. And look to your own experience. You'll see that there are times when you have that piercing clarity or you have this effortless energy, or you feel this lightness of mind and body, this comfort of mind and body, this non-reactivity in the mind. The next level of absorption in insight practice is when we get stuck on those experiences. And we think, aha, this is it. We have those experiences. We have a good sitting where it's just so subtle, so exquisite, so clear. And we say, "Uh uh-huh, now I get it. This is it. It's not. (laughs) That's just another experience to be noted, to be noticed very carefully. Oh, this is calmness, just calmness, just equanimity. Just extraordinary clarity. Just sublime peace. Just, you know, ecstatic bliss. It's just that. It's not going to last forever. It too is anicca. And because of that is dukkha. And we don't control it, so it's anatta also. These insights must be seen in every moment. As time goes on, we eventually can put aside our indulgence in what we think is good practice. But it takes a mind willing to not indulge in pleasantness, even the pleasantness of good practice. A mind that is willing to continue to see things as they are, changing, ultimately unstable, unsatisfying. And with that, the mind can come into a a balance, a very subtle, a very delicate balance, where we neither lean towards nor lean away from anything very equanimous, free from fear and delight, where we see pleasure and pain equally, effort is effortless, where the mind just falls on each moment by itself. The greatest danger at this subtle with this subtle momentum of practice, is leaning and looking for, or an impatience to attain, other Dharma experience. Because it's so subtle, we think, uh uh-huh, 
it's got to be close. Whatever it is. You know, there's that, there's that feeling. I mean, we know there's something else just, beyond, just out of reach, just beyond the veil. If I could just... You know, and that just, if I could, pulls us off balance. That's the imbalance. That's the destroyer of the concentration, the focus, the steadiness that's needed. So we have to be very delicately willing to put aside that, that longing for any other experience. mind has extraordinary power, extraordinary capabilities. The Buddha said it's, it's one of the great imponderables to, to think about or to, to fathom the power of a concentrated mind. It can't, be, it can't be measured. There's no limit to how focused, how concentrated, how collected the mind can be. No limit. The practice we do here takes us as far as we can in understanding that possibility, in realizing that possibility that we all have to collect and focus the mind, and to use that collected mind to see the way things are. To really plunge in to the depth of any moment and see the truth. In the Dhammapada, the Buddha said, the mind is difficult to control. Swiftly and lightly it moves and lands wherever it pleases. It is good to tame the mind, for a well-tamed mind brings happiness. Our practice here in developing right samadhi is a practice of happiness. sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.